Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Those are verses 47 and 48 of Psalm 106, verses 19 to 48 of which are the Psalms appointed for today, Monday, August the 15th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing today in our look at the book of Judges, chapter 17, verses 1 to 13, in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 to 29, and then in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7, verse 44, to chapter 8, verse 1. So just so you'll know that the Samson story <laughs> ended yesterday. I don't do a daily podcast on Sundays because I'm already doing the Sunday podcast, so I, I don't do those. And so we miss the end of the Samson story. So suffice it to say that they capture him because she cuts his hair. Delilah cuts his hair. He then comes, um, is imprisoned. And finally, God gives him one last burst of strength and he brings down the building on the people around him. So that's, that's the end of the Samson story, which, which began with such great promise in the announcement of his birth to his parents and then um, through the, the years of being a judge. But as I said, we were told that he was a judge in Israel in the middle of his story, which is unique, to say the least. And uh, it, they believe that it's because that everything went downhill from there. So it ends, though, with the Lord um, giving him one more burst of, of his spirit for strength to, to bring down some of the Philistines. And so remember, his job was to begin the destruction of the Philistines. So that anyway, that's that's the end of the Samson story for you. So... Now we move forward to, there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah, and Ephraim was one of the tribes of Israel, so he's an Israelite. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. So his mother had cursed whoever had taken the silver in the same way that you could look at uh, that happening with Rachel and her father Laban's gods. So... He, she had she had uh, brought a curse down on herself and on the whole company of people because she had stolen her father's household gods. And in the same way, this one we see that that this Micah has stolen his mother's silver and now and she cursed it and now he's owning up to having done that. Um, this this eleven hundred pieces of silver was too coincidental for the rabbis because it, remember a couple of days ago I told you that that Delilah was offered by the Philistines 1,100 pieces of silver in order to betray Samson to determine the source of his strength and betray him into their hands. So it was, it was too coincidental for them. So they, they, they come up with the idea that, that this mother here is actually Delilah. Because, well, it's 1,100 pieces of silver. And it does seem awfully coincidental, to say the least. I don't have an opinion about who she is, though. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord, because he told the truth. So she reversed the curse by blessing him. Blessed my son, be my son. So she cursed whoever took it, but now she's saying, Blessed be my son. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand uh, for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, she took 11, or 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah, her son. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. So what an odd 
idea this is, right? I mean, what, what have you done? All right. So you paid somebody to create something. Now you're calling it a god. It was created by somebody. How in the world did it, did it get the, the force of power to become a god? It didn't even exist until the silversmith made it. So, okay, so now you have a god, oh, and now you have to have the stuff that's necessary for the worship of the god. You've got to have an ephod. You've got to have a carved image. You've got to have a metal image. You've got to have a this and a that and all this. And then what do you got to have? Well, you've got to have a priest for your new religion. So what do you do? Well, you make one of your sons the priest. So you made a god. Now you made a priest. Of what? Is it serving a God? Or is your son serving that God? I, I don't see it because it's not a God. But anyway, it's the way it works. <laughs> and so we might not call them gods, but what we do sometimes is we create a business. And the business goes really well, so we make our son the, the head of that business. We do those kinds of things, and we treat it like a God because it overwhelms our lives, and we allow it to. There's nothing wrong with making money, nothing wrong with being successful. But when it becomes your God, and it's easy to see when it does— because all you got to do is measure your time, talent, and treasure and figure out what your God is. And so that's exactly the same. We can do the same thing. <clears throat> now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. Well, that's a little confusing because it's difficult to be of, of the family of Judah and also a Levite. And so you got a square circle here. And so there, there were varieties of opinions from the rabbis about who this guy is and whether he's a, he's, a, he's a person of Judah or if he's a Levite, because those are two separate tribes. Well, the thing to remember here is, is that the, the Levites had no inheritance of their own. So they were divvied up among the nations, every, not the nations, but the tribes. So every tribe had to make space in their territory for the Levites. They could farm, they could do all those kinds of things, and then they had obligations as the religious uh, representatives of the people. And so this one probably, it, it's possible, quite, quite possible at least, that, that at least one of his family, his father, was probably a Judahite, and he's also a Levite, dependent on marriage. But, but even then, it's a little confusing to say the least. So he, he's probably of the tribe of Levi. He has to be of the tribe of Levi, in fact, to be a Levite. So how he's a member of also Judah is difficult to say. Maybe this he sojourned there, maybe that applies back to, um, to, to what it means to be of the family of Judah, that he, that he sojourned among them as a Levite, and therefore he sort of belonged to Judah because Judah was kind of responsible. So the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. There were so many priests in the land at the time of Jesus that most of these people never got an opportunity to serve in the temple. They got to serve at the temple, but not inside the structure itself. So there were, there were just more priests than there was you know, land or need. So, and he journeyed. He came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? He said to him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. So I'm going to give you a place to live. I'm going to give you clothes to wear. And I'm also going to give you 10 pieces of silver a year because, hey, it's cool to have my own priest. So the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young men, man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite. He what? He ordained the Levite. I mean, the Levite was anointed for service because of his birth. Well, not for the service of this God. So he had to be ordained to serve this God. And the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. I mean, it, what? a priest to what? 
a priest to, to the God you made? So why would that God, quote unquote, care that you have a Levite? Those are two separate things. You're, you're, you're talking about one who is supposed to be a priest to Yahweh, and now you've made him a priest to your God by ordaining him that way, and he's a big enough idiot, although he gets benefit financially from it, that, that he accepted that ordination. So when he did, he walked away from Yahweh. Anyway, it's a weird story to say the least, but hey, whatever floats your boat, right? At least for a time, because there's always a price to pay for infidelity. So in the gospel today, Jesus is is speaking and says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. So it's imitative. So in other words, he's not going to do anything that he doesn't see the Father doing. There's a pattern for his behavior. He doesn't act on his own initiative. He acts when he's, what he sees the Father doing. And for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And, and you can, you know, if you just break this down into human terms, you can see um, one of the popular toys when I was a kid was a lawnmower, right? A little plastic lawnmower. And because you wanted to be like your dad. Your dad mowed the lawn, so you mowed the lawn, and you did it with your little plastic lawnmower. You, you could get a car or a truck or a Jeep or whatever, and, and so you had those when you were a kid because, well, then I could be like my dad. I could drive a car. I could do all the things dad did. So it's, it's exactly what Jesus is saying, and he, he's making human um, application to what he's, what he's saying here. He's just, so, so I do what my father does. I don't act on my own initiative. I don't do things that I don't see him doing. No, I only do the things that I see him doing. For the Father loves the Son and shows all him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. So the the the, the it's where we are in the in the narrative is John's told us a couple of different signs that Jesus has done. And then he says that these things are to be greater than that. And it's exactly what he told Nathaniel when Nathaniel came in, in uh, initially, and Jesus said, I knew you before Philip, before Philip got you under the fig tree. And, and that's when he confesses that you're the Christ. And, and then Jesus says, really? Because of that? You're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus is continuing to point to there'll be greater revelation than what you've received so far. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, is this speaking ahead into the story of Lazarus, or is it speaking to something that's much, much, much greater than that, which is giving life to the dead who are us, doing it over a millennia, more than one millennia? So is that what he's talking about? Because that's the greatest gift that Jesus can do can give, right, is re- resurrection life. And Paul says, you are dead in your trespasses, period, end of sentence. You're not dying, you're dead. You're already spiritually dead. You have already died because you're separated from God, who is the author of life. And so that's, I believe, the greater point Jesus is making. It doesn't mean to, that, that Lazarus is a lesser point, but, but nothing compared to the resurrection of the dead. Nothing compares to that. So, for the Father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now, so let's say you have a business, right? And so you have a business, and you want to bring your son into that business, and you bring him in at some level, and then you raise him up along the way. And somewhere along the way, you step away from that, and you say, he's running the business now. you got to honor him the way you honored me. And that's exactly the example that Jesus is giving here, is, is that, that the Father entrusted to the Son judgment. 
So you've got to honor the son as you honor the father because judgment's been given to him. Whoever doesn't honor the son doesn't honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Period. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life already. So Jesus is, is what he's saying here is the same thing Paul says in Romans when he says you were dead in your sins. He says he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. In other words, your, your state today is dead if, however, you hear his word and believe him who sent him, believe in the Father, then you have passed already from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming is now here. So in other words, I guess I would say, drop, let me drop back and interrupt myself, which I'm good at. So to pass from death to life, what, what I guess that, that he would say to us is act like it. Act like you've passed from death to life. Act like you realize that your sins brought you death. Put those things behind you and now live. Live. <clears throat> truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live, just as Lazarus did temporarily. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He is the giver of life. He can also be the one who judges, but he is the giver of life. For as the Father has life, oh, sorry, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. And then, so before he says that he, greater works than these will the Father show the Son so that you may marvel, now he says, when, when he talks about this judgment and having life in himself, he says, don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So don't, don't marvel at what I'm saying. Believe it, but don't marvel in it because there's going to be greater things that you're going to see than that. And that's when you see those coming out of the tombs, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So, oh, it's a works-based thing. No, no, he's already said that's not the case. He's already said... Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. But does that mean works are excluded? No. It means works prove the faith. It's as simple as that. Jesus says, I do what I see my father doing. And the implication there is you do what I'm doing. Live your life the way I am. Recognize you've passed from death to life and live like a living person, not like the dead you lived. Change your ways. Show evidence of life. Show evidence of faith. Show evidence that you've been changed. In the uh, uh, Acts lesson today, we're, we're finishing up the story of Stephen, the deacon who was accused of two things, speaking against the temple and against the law. So he, he's finishing his uh, response to the accusation. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it with, in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David. So all through the period of the judges, all through the time of Samuel, all through the time of Saul. In fact, all through the time of David, who chose, because the Lord showed him, the city where the temple would be, but he didn't build the temple. So the, they worshipped in that tabernacle. 
during this entire period of time. This is we're talking about, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe a thousand years even. We're not quite sure, but we think that's about right. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. And he did. Jerusalem, the city of David. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High doesn't dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what's the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So, no, my throne is in heaven. Earth is my footstool. It's the thing I made. It's intended to bring me glory. It's intended to reflect my glory as the creator and the author of life. I can't have a home there because of sin. Sin made it an inhospitable place for righteousness because if God came and dwelt among us as, as sitting on a throne, then that's the throne of judgment. So Jesus didn't sit on the throne. Jesus came in order to save us. You stiff-necked people, uh-oh, uh-oh, he went from history to preaching. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and didn't keep it. He says, so you say I've spoken against the law? So have you, by your actions. You have refused the word of God and the will of God. You have refused his law, the law that you say you revere, the one that pointed to Jesus. So you're accusing me of speaking against the temple and against the law of Moses, but if you actually believed the law of Moses, you wouldn't be how you were. You wouldn't refuse the prophets. You wouldn't receive the word of God. You would repent and return to him. Instead, you killed the author of life. Uh oh. Now, <laughs> when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Mm hmm. Well, I could have seen that coming. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He, Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So we know what he saw because of what he said. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. In other words, we're not going to hear this, so we're going to yell at the top of our voices. We're going to stick our fingers in our ears, and we're going to pretend that we can't hear what you say. In the same way, this hypocrisy is the same kind of hypocrisy where they tried to tell uh, Judas, well, it's your problem. It's your problem. And then said, oh, that's blood money. Well, you paid it as blood money. So you're tainted by the fact that you paid it as blood money, but you can't put it back into the temple treasury, even though you took it out of the temple treasury to pay the blood money. But it didn't become blood money when Judas took it. It became blood money as soon as you formed the intention of it being blood money. You made it blood money. So here, it's the same thing. They're, they're, they're stopping their ears in the same way they stopped their ears against Jesus, in the same way they stopped their ears against the prophets. And now they rush upon him, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So the, the witnesses are those who heard the testimony and found him guilty. And so they get to do the stoning. And as they were stoning Stephen, he, Stephen, called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It's the same thing Jesus said. Father, receive my spirit. Father, don't hold this against them. But he's praying not to the Father, but to Jesus. 
That's the difference. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Which to me is just the most bizarre thing in the world. They hang out in Jerusalem. They don't leave Jerusalem when this persecution comes. They were the ones who said, who were told, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And yet, they stayed in Jerusalem. It's a very strange thing. I don't understand it, to be honest with you. But at any rate, so as we come to the end of this, these passages today, it's just it's be clear on what you're worshiping. Examine your life. Figure out exactly what it is you're worshiping. Does your manner of life and your style of life and your, the way that you live, does all that point to the fact that you believe that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God and that life is only found in his name, that you have passed from death to life because of belief, because of baptism? Would anybody know it if they looked at your life? Or... Would they look at you the same way they would look at Micah and go, no, I know who your God is. I know exactly who your God is. It is not Yahweh. So does your life show who your God is?